Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing the solemnities of Jesus during ordinary time. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay, again, it's always a pleasure to be able to gather and to discuss some of those things that are part of our church at times, which no one really thinks about. No one, we just, they just kind of happen and they're part of the liturgical year. They speak, they can speak to us and, and when we celebrate them well, do speak to us deeply of, of, of some basic truths that we hold as Catholics. They express uh, beliefs. They, ex- they were put into place for lots of different reasons. And, and one of the things that I, I always like to tell people when it comes to the Catholic Church, you may not understand why it does what it does. You may not even believe why it does what it does. You may think it's crazy that it does why it does, but there's always a reason why it does what it does. And the solemnities... Of, of Jesus uh, during ordinary time are, are really just that. They, these are uh, celebrations that, uh, that have the capital S when you look at the Ordo, the book that tells us what we're supposed to do. Because we all look at that. Oh, always. Yeah. And they're supposed to have a Gloria uh, to them. They're supposed to be basically celebrated like a Sunday. Okay. That's really what they are. So what are these days? Well, I was going to sh- share that before we get to just the oh. four days, because there are four of them. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, actually, when it comes to solemnities, not only of Jesus, but solemnities of ideas, solemnities of truths, there are actually 17 of them. And I know at one point we did talk about some of those. Yes, yes. Uh, the, you know, some of them, like, you know, the biggies like Immaculate Conception, um, uh, Christmas, uh, Mary, Mother of God. Some of those major ones that we, uh, that there is uh, what you would say an, an ob- obligatory, uh, you know, sense connected to it that these really are celebrations that, that people are really asked to go to. The biggies, you know, when you think about, as I mentioned, uh, starting with uh, Mary, Mother of God, and uh, December 8th, Immaculate Conception, Christmas, mm-hmm. all of those, uh, Ascension. Those are our key solemnities that the Universal Church is, uh, is expected to attend these celebrations because they celebrate some of those key truths that we hold dear and that literally define who we are and why we believe what we believe. When you think about Christmas, that whole sense of, of you know, uh, God joining with humanity, uh, incarnation, all of that. Well, it's also like, you know, going to a birthday party. You go to a birthday party for family, so why not well, Jesus? Yeah, I mean, it's the beginnings, you know, all of those kinds of things. The 17... Uh, solemnities, not all of them are required, you know, required attendance. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the four is the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It, it is one of those idea uh, truth celebrations, more of an idea, concept. It is a solemnity, but we are not obliged to attend. 
So what what is a solemnity? Exactly? A solemnity is the there is a there is an order of of, of the celebrations uh, that the church has. You have solemnities, you have memorials, you have optional memorials, you have feasts, and then you have what are called ferial days. Ferial days are just where there is nothing specific other than you're alive today. We give thanks to God. It's pretty. It's about that broad or general. How do you spell that? Because when you say it, I think of fairies flying around. Uh, ferial is F-E-R-I-A-L. Okay. Not F-A. <laughs> F-E. So there, there is a, there is a hierarchy. You might say of of how we celebrate, what we celebrate, and and the expectations that we what we celebrate. And a solemnity is on the top. Is at the very top of the ladder, you might say. It has required readings. Uh, it has expectations as far as the creed and the gloria. Um, it is it is at the top, the height. Okay? Then when you get to memorials, they're important, but they don't have near the importance of a solemnity. They're not required to attend. Although there are uh, readings, specific readings that you are are, are uh, being asked to use for that particular day, is that so? Mm-hmm. Like the days of the week sometimes are have saint days. Is that a memorial or is that something different? Uh, is that something different? Oh, some of them are memorials, you know. Some of them not so much. Uh, you have. For example, a solemnity of Peter and Paul, mm-hmm. but you may have the Apostle Mark, which is not a solemnity. That is a memorial. It is still expected to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times when you have the option of whether you celebrate it or not. Uh, but a memorial, th- that is, you are to celebrate that, the church to celebrate that. Sometimes the memorial might be connected to a particular religious order. Uh, other times it might be connected to a particular movement within the church. Um, sometimes connected with saints, other times not so much. <clears throat> the, then you have optional memorials where you can celebrate them or not. Uh, then you have, like I said, the feast days. Um, you can celebrate them or not, not necessarily. But what's what's important when you think about that whole hierarchy of how we celebrate is that the church on an annual basis uh, really brings up key ideas, key people, it keeps telling the stories, you might say, so that hopefully one day we'll finally get it. That we look at these people and or or we look at the example that they have given Francis of Assisi, um, you know, uh, a day for celebrating peace and justice. You have, I mean, just all sorts of things like that. That hopefully, as people, you know, attend mass on a regular basis, they eventually hit all of these days, and they begin to see the the breath of, you might say, of the church, of just of all of the things that the church takes into consideration. <clears throat> Now to throw a wrench in there, like, is it true that at Holy Angels we don't necessarily have a solemnity of our church name, but where St. Francis Gabrini would do their sure. day is a, where they're 
saint name is a solemnity for them, or is that not true? Well, that is. Well, I should say it's it's not necessarily considered a solemnity. Okay. But it it is you know there is expected to be celebrated. It would be like a uh, a required memorial. It would be more on the level of a memorial. Okay. Okay. Uh, where it is expected that a church would celebrate um, that feast day. Um, <clears throat> for example, in the um, the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist here in, in Milwaukee, that is our patron, that's mm -hmm. the patron of our cathedral. At the cathedral, that is a solemnity, uh, not necessarily an obligatory solemnity, sure. but it is to be celebrated well uh, in the sense of creed and gloria and all of those things. Because, one, it's the patron of, of, a, of a diocese, and it's, it's the patron of the cathedral that it's given a special place. It's given a special place. And those kinds of things, again, it, it's quite complex that some of these, you know, kind of boot another group out of the, you know, another uh, name or idea or whatever concept, it kind of pushes it aside if it happens to land on the same day for whatever reason. Uh, so going back, though, to our solemnities, is that that whole aspect of, of the hierarchy of celebrations and such, mm -hmm. it, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And, you know, you start getting into that stuff because it can be quite complex, but it also recognizes, again, the, the breadth of what the church celebrates and how it celebrates it. So when we look at the solemnities of the year, there are 17 of them all together. Again, some obligatory, others not. But the four that we want to pull out today are what are labeled the solemnities of Jesus during ordinary time. These are also movable feasts. They don't have a specific date because they're celebrated. The celebration, they're determined, uh, three of them on a Sunday... Uh, the Sacred Heart one, not so much. <laughs> that, that gets moved around. But the importance, when, when something is moved to a Sunday on a pretty much a permanent basis, it speaks of the importance of, of what it means, what it's expressing, what it's celebrating, uh, the, the, the core beliefs and such of the church that somehow is trying to in a way, as best it can to encapsulate. Mm -hmm. They are, the these four, as I mentioned, are movable, and they are determined uh, by the date of Easter. Which, if you remember, oh, I do. is uh, always scheduled on the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. Mm -hmm. So Easter Sunday is always moving. And so then to find out when Ash Wednesday is, you have to take Easter and go backwards. And to determine when these four solemnities are, you take Easter and you go forward. Okay. So you have the four are, you have the Trinity, you have uh, the body and blood of Christ, or what was formerly known as Corpus Christi. You have the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and you have the solemnity of Christ, King of the Universe. Ah. Okay? okay. So, in a way, in, in between them, you have this 
huge season called Ordinary, Ordinary Time. Ordinary Time. Womp womp. Yeah. The, um, so, for example, uh, Trinity is always celebrated the Sunday after Pentecost. Corpus Christi, body and blood of Christ, is always celebrated the Sunday after Trinity. Sacred Heart is always celebrated the Friday after the celebration of Corpus Christi. So, okay. that would mean... Next Friday. Next Friday. <clears throat> and then you have... Per the, per the date of our recording. That, that is correct, yes. Yes, that is correct. So, and then you have the Feast of the uh, Christ, King of the Universe, and that is determined, again, where Easter goes, how many Sundays of Ordinary Time you have, and it's always the last Sunday of Ordinary Time before we begin Advent, the first Sunday of Advent. Wouldn't they decide where Christ's King goes based on Christmas and Advent? No, no. because... Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, is the beginning. Uh-huh. So the Christ King of the Universe doesn't go, doesn't, they can't start forward because it ends what has gone before. So you have to go backwards to discern where it ends up. Well, it seems easier to go the other way, but whatever. <laughs> but it really can't because Christmas is on a specific day. Yeah. Cor King of the Universe moves. Depending on how many Sundays are there are or in ordinary Christmas. time between Corpus Christi and Advent. Yeah, but it's always the last Sunday before Advent. Yes, but if it's 33 or 34 or 35 or whatever, it moves depending upon. It, yes, it is always the one before Advent, but it's not determined that way. Well, that's just silly. I mean, don't have to agree with it. <laughs> There's always a reason. So now why did they bunch them up like towards the beginning of this ordinary time segment and at the end? Why didn't they speckle them through to lighten well, things up a little? In the sense they did with the solemnities, these particular ones, though, are always geared more toward the Easter celebration. Um, when you think about ordinary time, it's not, you know, ordinary, nothing interesting happens as much as counting time, mm -hmm. ordinal time, as, as we spoke about, you know, in, in ordinary time in a previous uh, podcast, yep. is that these are, are kind of, you might say, bunched up because Jesus is really the center, Trinity, Jesus, Spirit, God, uh, are really centered around that, that Easter time, Easter framework. Mm -hmm. And then it also has a lot to do with politics, the, 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 the normal, the calendar of the year. Um, but most of it, it really has that centering around the, um, you know, the, the Easter, Easter time, Easter mm -hmm. celebration, Easter season, uh, and, and what that signifies. It's, I don't think it's, it's by accident either that when you think about this is that you have these key celebrations at the beginning of what is called counting time, ordinary time, to recognize that somehow what these concepts celebrate have to be brought in to everyday life. That it, you know, when we think about Easter is not just, you know, a day and then 50 days later. 
it is to be it is to be the focus of our life every single day pentecost every single day so when we think about again what we celebrate and there are reasons why these uh why these were even created or brought into into place um is that these are important things that we as a people of faith are to remember that if we are truly to be a disciple of Jesus is that the concept of Trinity, the concept of the body and blood of Christ, what the sacred heart means and, and what it can signify, um, what it means to declare Christ as, as king of the universe, these are all things that somehow are really part and parcel of the fabric of how we are to live as a disciple. To leave any aspect of this out is somehow to be missing who we are to be, who we are to become, and you might say who we are becoming as disciples. So it's, when we talk about these, so these are specifically uh, oriented to, to Jesus. Some of the others are, are, again, oriented more to concepts um, and, are, and are speckled, you know, throughout mm -hmm. the ordinary time. So you look, for example, you look at uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary. It's a solemnity. It's in March. Uh, you look at, uh, let's see, birth of John the Baptist, again in June. There's a, a chunk of these celebrations in June. <laughs> uh, uh, Peter and Paul, again, in June. You have a, the Assumption, one of the holy days of obligation, in August. And part of this, part of the history also by creating these solemnities that they became obligatory, they were put into place. When you think about the power that the church had, both in religious areas and in civil law, because these were obligatory, they were treated like Sundays. You were not to work on Sundays. And industry had to give people off in order for them to attend Mass and, and to have like a holy day of obligation. They couldn't require the poor to work on Sunday. And literally it became one of the church's ways to make sure that they didn't work people to death every single day of the week. What we know is that, you know, you get Saturday and Sunday off. That That's our our world. Typical. Okay, typical. Well, yeah. not us. Well, yeah, but... Normal people. Normal people. But when you think about when these were being put into place, when the obligations were placed, you know, connected to them, it was a way for the church to force industry to give people a day off. Nice. And, and the so, labor union before the labor union. Uh, in a way, yes. Because otherwise they worked, you worked straight through. You, you didn't get a day off. And so it was one of the ways in order for the church to help the poor. So there's a lot of history in the midst mm -hmm. of all of this, of, of how we recognize how the church, you know, we, there's a lot, of, a lot of, you know, issues obviously surrounding the church these days. For good or for ill, it's all there. But the fact remains is that part of our history, sometimes as goofy as of some of the things that we could do, there was a lot that we did that also really put into place uh, ways that 
that it gave people a break. It, it, it allowed people to have a respite rather than literally working like dogs every single day of their life. It's all, again, all part of the history out of which we come. <clears throat> so when you, when you begin to look at some of these, <clears throat> you recognize that there are reasons that each of them really came into being. The most recent one is actually uh, Christ King of the Universe. That was literally not brought into play until around the early 1920s. Really? The rest go way back, you know, to heresies and, and to issues, the, the Desert Fathers, uh, all sorts of things that were happening in the early centuries of the church. Even the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that one too? That one also goes back quite a ways. Wow. Um, but the most recent is really the one, uh, Christ King of the Universe, in about 1923 or 24, some, somewhere in there. Um, and just to, to give you an idea of, of where, these, uh, where these days come into play and the whys be, behind them. <clears throat> the, um, feasts, these feasts of the Lord during the ordinary time, um, again, as I mentioned, they're movable, depending upon uh, the uh, Easter. <clears throat> Is that you have, uh, and for example, the solemnity of the, of the Trinity. The solemnity of the Trinity really goes back to the early centuries. Is that you go back to the issues with Arius. Remember Arius? I do. Okay, the, a real person. Real person. You go back to Arius. And the heresy, the Arian heresy, that Jesus was not divine. So, how do you combat that? You combat it by stressing the divinity of Jesus. You combat it by... Trinity? The Trinity, <laughs> by centering on the Trinity. And having the Trinity being at the forefront, then, of, of what this means. Um, the, the, Arian, the Arian heresy was a real threat in, in, in the day and the age. So, so what, what they did is that they placed then this, this uh, uh, emphasis on the, on the divinity of Christ, <clears throat> stressing a special devotion, and that was happening around the uh, late 700s, early 800s. So that one goes back mm -hmm. a long ways. And it's, it's trying to get people to focus on the fact of what are we celebrating? Why? And to get people to understand that what Arius was teaching was way off the mark. <laughs> Jesus was divine. He is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. He always was, always will be. He was both divine and human. And so this was really stressed then, uh, particularly in what we know as Spain, Gaul, France, that, that whole area there. <clears throat> so that really, really took off. When you look at the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ, this one really came into play uh, where there was this, this really huge push of the, um, of the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. It was in the, uh, the 12th century, so you're talking the 1100s, one of the consequences of, of this emphasis, um, they, it was what was labeled as uh, the cult of the Blessed Sacrament, and not in a negative term. Again, I always want to remind people, cult, when used in church, 
is not necessarily a negative term. The cult of a saint is a positive. Uh, is a positive. It speaks of people and the movement that want to stress a particular saint. The cult of the Blessed Sacrament is a positive. Uh, it's a movement. It's it's what is happening that there is this tremendous emphasis, you know, on the presence of Christ, whole and entire, in in the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus. It is also during that time that you have, for example, the elevation where the priest would hold up the, the, the host during Mass. That didn't exist before, really, the 12th century. You know, we always kind of think, well, the priest always elevated. Not until about the 1100s. Now, that goes back to when we were talking about how the poor people couldn't receive Jesus, right? Visual communion. Yeah. And so the stress was, if I can at least see it, then I'll know that Jesus is there. If I can at least have what they call ocular communion, then at least I, I will be blessed with that much. Because basically that's all I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a poor schmuck. You ain't going to receive communion. That's what the priest did or the wealthy got. Uh, that was not for the common folk, not until much, much later. So it's, it's those kinds of things that took place. You know, when you start to look at um, what happens when you place such a stress on it, you also have, as, you men- as I've mentioned, that, you know, tabernacles and, mm-hmm. and processions and, you know, monstrances and all of those kinds of things started to appear uh, much, much later when there was this huge push uh, on the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, whole and entire body and blood under the appearances of bread and wine. Hmm. So there's when so when you think of Corpus Christi, it's it's it really uh, centers on that whole sense of of what we believe the the Eucharist to be. And, and the importance of that, how it spoke to people, how it was used in lots of different ways as, as a battle cry, as, you know, in all sorts of ways that simply didn't exist or certainly not to that degree, most likely didn't exist in many ways in the early centuries of the church. Their understanding of Jesus and, 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 and how they experienced the presence of Jesus was very different and it was it wasn't on the elements of bread and wine it was much more stress on the word and uh, and the community gathered Hmm. not you know the the stress on the host Mm -hmm. uh, or the precious blood is much much later development again because of historical cultural societal reasons and so you have this feast of, you know, the body and blood of Christ, Corpus Christi. The feast of the Sacred Heart um, is, you know, as they say, is celebrated on the third Friday after Pentecost, which means it's celebrated today, always after the Sunday, uh, which would be Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that that will be coming up uh, in in uh, in in a short time for us here. The, when, you, when you look at the, the Feast of the Sacred Heart, now, when I was growing up, I would bet you 
80% of the Catholic families in their houses. They had two pictures that were hung on a, probably a living room wall. One would have been the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the other would have been the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Those were standard in people's homes. Um, and you could have an enthronement of your own house to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. What is an enthronement? An enthronement, enthronement is a dedication. And there was a blessing, a scripture. There was the, the icon or the picture that was blessed. The house was blessed. The family was blessed. It, you were literally dedicated. And basically what you were dedicating yourself to was to love God above all else and to love neighbor as self. You were dedicating yourself to the love that Jesus had for his disciples and for all he died for. It was a, when you, so when you look at the, the Feast of the Sacred Heart, it was, it was very much oriented toward, you know, to that sense that the heart was seen as the core of the human person. Um, philosophers, theolo theologians, <laughs> theologians, I can say that word, were really focusing on that. And even with the scriptures, it was believed that where the divine resided was at the very core of the pers human person, and that was the heart of the person. Now, initially, you know, it was connected strictly to anatomy, the heart. Um, but otherwise, it became much bigger than that, the core values of who a person was, the core values of what you believed. And at the center of that was nothing less than the Divine One, God Himself. And so this feast emphasized that. It is a, uh, a later feast uh, that, that happens. And it's, I um, just want to find out here, that um, it's, it's a feast where it, it had its beginnings around the year 1000. So it's got plenty, yeah, yeah, it's a ways back there. Um, it was Not in what the, I would have expected. Yeah, it was in the 1600s that St. John Eudes uh, promoted devotion to the Sacred Heart. Again, the center being, the focus being, is that using Jesus's heart as a symbol to focus on, to venerate, um, to devote oneself to, in order that we might, you know, uh, help to bring that 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 presence, that love of Jesus, to humanity, to the world in which we live. Um, there were uh, apparitions where it's reported apparitions to uh, Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque. This was in the mid 1673-1675, where presumably in these visions of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, tells he tells about his concern about the indifference and the coldness in the world, of how we needed to love one another. He asks her from the reports that she was to promote these practices. Part of this was frequent communion in the spirit of reparation, particularly on the first Friday of the month. Mm. That's why it gets connected, you know, to the Friday. Friday. There were holy hours. 
dedicated to the Sacred Heart. There were devotions dedicated to the Sacred Heart. There were novenas, uh, nine Fridays, nine Saturdays, nine Wednesdays, different sets of, of devoted to the... And this took off. Like I said, you know, growing up, I hardly know a Catholic family that didn't I that I was associated with that didn't have again somewhere a picture of the Sacred Heart either on their walls they carried it in their wallets you also had them in churches all over the place um, so it was uh, really uh, huge and then uh, Pope Pius XII in 1956 he wrote an encyclical uh, encyclical a letter concerning the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So over the centuries, this was really promoted in so, so many ways. And even now, you still have scapulars of the Sacred Heart, medals of the Sacred Heart. There is a strong, strong devotion, even to this very day, to the Sacred Heart and what that means. Um, <clears throat> there are even promises that were supposedly made. Again, you're talking about apparitions now. These are part of that small t, um, in that they were private apparitions, but reported that there were promises made. Uh, he, for those of people who had enthronements, you know, uh, to the Sacred Heart in their homes, is that um, he will establish peace in their homes, comfort them in their afflictions, um, bestow blessings on their undertaking. Um, Let's see, I will bless every place where a picture of my heart shall be set up and honored. Um, again, these are oftentimes the same thing happens with Lourdes. Sure. And, you know, with... Um, well, that makes sense why people would hang in the picture up on. Well, again, um, yeah, you're buying into a whole, a whole concept of what it means to be dedicated. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that devotionally, the Sacred Heart, you know, flew by, you know, the... Uh, the Trinity, and you might say, uh, and and uh, the Corpus Christi. Uh, again, those are those were kind of rooted in, in, in oftentimes described in in by theologians in, in theologies and philosophies. Um, you know, discussions between scholars about you know Trinity and divinity and humanity and and how does the how does body and blood what does transubstantiation mean and which in a lot of ways people can't connect to. Mm -hmm. um, these are in a sense very deep mysteries, um, not because they're not believable. These are mysteries that go way beyond. People can connect to what it means to love. People can connect. To what it means, and more readily, to what it means, you know, devotion of the Sacred Heart. So it's interesting that that's on a Friday then instead of a Sunday, and it's not an obligation. If people can connect to it more, it's interesting. Probably based in many ways because of the uh, the apparitions. You know, mm. um, if you say an apparition is true and has a value, then you got a kind of pay attention to what the apparition in a sense the message is saying. Yeah. So, but again, you have that, you know, uh, with Lourdes, Fatima, promises made, uh, I mean, all of these biggies, you know, um, mm -hmm. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, see what comes out of, um, came, uh, no, uh, what's uh, the, 
the apparition up near Green Bay. Um, Champion? Champion, Champ- that's it. Champ- Champion. Is that it? Okay. Um, that is it. Is that, uh, you know, that's still a pretty new one mm-hmm. that was just, you might say, ratified or, or confirmed. It'll be interesting to see if over time there are not some of these kinds of developments that happen uh, similar to what happened. When you think about, you know, uh, the Sacred Heart, though its origins are in the, you know, around 1000, it doesn't really take off until 600 years later when Margaret Mary had had an apparition. So who knows what (laughs) someone might have in Champion that could literally take off 100, 200, 300 years from now. You just don't know. Part of it will be, what does the world need? I mean, really, what does the world need? When you look at when these things start to take off, there were some major crises. You know, you think about when things started to take off in... You know, in whether it's Sacred Heart or others, you look at what's happening in the world, and it's no different for the last one. You know, Christ the King, uh, that one also. You start looking at that and saying, "Wow, uh, there's stuff happening in our world." And and finally, to to bring it to closure here, really is the solemnity of Christ the King. Um, it's it's the most recent, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It, it's in 1925 that uh, Pius XI. Uh, speaks of it, uh, and and the reason he speaks of it. Think about 1925, though it was a boom time, the Roaring Twenties, you know, at the time it was in Europe. Yeah, here Roaring. Yes, in Europe, all sorts of of war and such, uh, all sorts of violence, and eventually, which led to World War Two. Two. That, and and it hadn't been that long when we came out of World War One. So you had a lot of violence taking place in Germany and lots of other places at that time. And Pius XI's comment was, the most effective weapon against forces of evil of a particular age is acknowledging the kingship of Christ. And it was then during that time that, you know, the focus on Christ the King and moving around a bit as far as where it goes, but eventually was settled on, when you think of the whole liturgical year, everything in so many ways is to bring us to this stance, this ability to declare that Christ is king of the universe. One, it says, you know, to everything else in the universe, you are second, not Mm -hmm. first. Two, it can be, in a way, uh, a battle cry, you might say, for peop- to bring people together, particularly when they are faced with a tremendous, tremendous presence of evil that they see in the world, where their homes, countries, loved ones are being slaughtered by the millions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we saw that also once the United States entered into uh, the Second World War is that, you know, a lot of different things started to, to really also take off kind of a, a, a second burst, Sacred Heart, uh, adora- um, Adoration of the Sacred Heart. You had uh, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. You had uh, the perpetual, uh, perpetual devotions of, of Mary, perpetual, um, perpetual adoration devotions. 
You had uh, uh, adoration of the Eucharist. You had um, many, many of these of these pieties that are rooted in, 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 in solid theology and truth. Many of them came to the forefront because people had their loved ones going off to a foreign world, countries, and they had no idea if those loved ones would ever return. It brought some sort of hope, probably. Yes, it did. And so P- churches would be filled to with Marian devotion times, Sacred Heart devotion times, um, Fatima, Lourdes. You had all of these kinds of things. These devotional practices became huge in the lives of people because they needed something to hang on to. They needed something to hang on to. And so you hang on to what gives you strength and courage or at least some sense of hope. Um, So these... These days, these, you know, four uh, solemnities of the Lord really became very much then part and parcel of our whole liturgical year. Again, centered, you know, around Easter and that whole time, um, except for the last one, which really, again, brought everything to conclusion. Um, so it's, it's uh, oftentimes we, we kind of celebrate them. We just kind of get through them. Um, it's like, okay, we got Easter, there's two more coming. Uh, you know, a lot of times, Sacred Heart, I would say now, some of that has waned a bit at this point. Years ago, it was much bigger where your church would be full. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that Friday, uh, you would... Uh, uh, so I, it's just some things that people, you know, I think as we grow in awareness to, uh, or we grow in an awareness of, it can make a huge difference in, in how we pray and, and, and what connects us. Well, I didn't know they were technically an ordinary time. I just yeah. always thought, oh, here's more, yeah, kind of Easter, because I know Easter ends at Pentecost, but right. I don't know. Yeah, it ends in, in it ends on Pentecost. That's mm-hmm. And so the evening, uh, so the, the evening after Pentecost, of Pentecost, that starts your ordinary time. Mm-hmm. And so you, when you end Pentecost, that ends Easter, is that you enter then ordinary time for the, the day, not the day before, but the day, the next day, mm-hmm. that Monday. And then that is uh, ordinary. So that's the, well, again, depending upon where Easter was, this year it was the eighth, the Monday of the eighth week of ordinary time. Yeah. Then you have Trinity, and then you have Monday of the ninth week of ordinary time, which we're in that ninth week now. Then you have Corpus Christi, and then Friday after you have that. But yeah, they are hmm. in ordinary time. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, all right, a lot of good information there. I think we will end it for today. We hope you enjoyed that, and we will see you next time.